So we're in this series right now called Do You See What I See? Do You See What I See? And it's been a really fun series. So the two weeks ago, we looked at this uh, Christmas story through uh, Mary's perspective and how she was uh, confused and disturbed but still decided to trust God, that she wasn't full of peace. She had a lot of questions. The angel did a terrible job at answering her questions. She didn't have a plan, but she still chose to follow God. Last week, I talked about Simeon and Anna, two people that many of us probably have never even heard of, older prophets who have been waiting their whole life to hear or to see the Messiah. And then one of the last things they got to do was to see Jesus and see the future Savior of the world. And so talk about that last week. If you missed it, uh, please go back and listen to it. And then next week for Christmas Eve, we're going to finish the series and talk about the Magi, the wise men, right? We three kings of Orient are like this, uh, that whole story. And they are not who you may think they are. And their gifts may not mean what you think they mean. So we're going to unpack that for a little bit. Christmas Eve also is a family service. Okay, so what that means is we're all together, kids and everything. So it's going to be noisy, and your kid may let loose and run down the aisles. It, it's fine. It's fine. It's, uh, some of us are way too structured, okay? I love going to church, like in developing countries, because it's just, it just is what it is. And kids are running around, and there's no, like, kids ministry wing or anything, right? So that'll be Christmas. And uh, Christmas Eve, we'll have busy bags for the kids, okay, just FYI too. So we're going to uh, finish out the Do You See What I See series next week, talk about the Magi. But today, today we're going to talk about the Christmas story from the perspective of the shepherds, of the shepherds. And it may not be what you think it is. It, it may, the story may not be, their perspective may not be what you think uh, the perspective is. So we're going to read Luke chapter 2, uh, that part of the Christmas story, and it says, starting in verse 8, it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. I want you to take notice of that. Shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were excited. They were hopeful. They were waiting for this. No, they were freaked out. It says that they were terrified. They were terrified. But the angel said to him, hey, chill out. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Not just you guys, but for all people for all eternity. So this is good stuff that's about to happen. So close your jaw, right? Number 11, today, uh, verse 11, today in the town of David, Bethlehem, which is right outside, uh, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, capital M, the Lord, capital L. These are titles. This will be assigned. This is how you know that this is the right guy. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger in a feeding trough. This is how you're going to know that this one is the Savior. Notice what he says. It didn't say that the shepherds were working in the fields. It didn't say they were on their shift working in the fields. It says they were what? Living in the fields. This is part of their job was to live there. They didn't work their eight hours and then go back to their condo. They lived with them, with the sheep. So let's unpack what it was like to be a shepherd in the first century. Because sometimes there's this idea, especially if you've been around church for any amount of time, that, you know, the Bible says it, that, that, that settles it. I, you know, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. And it's like, well, okay, you got to understand that we're reading Scripture with Western eyes. We're reading Scripture like 
people that live in Orange County in 2022, almost 2023, right? And so it's not the Bible says that I believe that that settles it. It's what does that mean? What happened, right? And so many of us, if we went to the DRC to hand out Bibles, the missionary or the leaders there would go, okay, do this, don't do this, wear this, don't wear this. When you say this, that's offensive, right? So do this, don't point, do, you know, all these kind of things because we need an interpreter to understand the culture, right? How much more then do we need an interpreter to understand the culture of the Bible that's on the other side of the world 2,000 years ago, right? So we need to unpack it a little bit. In the time of King David, if you go back in time a little bit from when this is happening, in the time of King David, shepherds were everywhere. But the shepherds in that time, it was a family thing. So the family would own a plot of land or own a bunch of uh, cattle or whatever, like, you know, where it says, like, Abraham had this many goats and sheep and all that kind of stuff. And you kind of measured your wealth by how, much, how many animals you had, right? So uh, caring for the sheep was a family affair, and it was given to the uh, least helpful person in the family, right? So the uh, young girl, young boy, many times the shepherds were young girls, really, really young girls. Uh, sometimes they were young boys. But when they got stronger and could do more things around the house, they could help in other ways on the farm or whatever, they would get those jobs, leadership positions, management, all that kind of stuff, and they would go down to the next least helpful person in the family, right? And so uh, these individuals, when they were shepherds in that time of King David, uh, a little bit before, uh, you know, the first century where we're talking about today, uh, th they were kind of the redheaded stepchild of the, of the family. No offense, Eric. Uh, <laughs> but so we read this even in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, God gives uh, Israel wants a king like every other nation. You guys remember this story? If you guys don't, it's really fascinating to listen to. So God wanted to be Israel's leader. God wanted to be Israel's king, right? But the nation of Israel is like, no, we want to be like everybody else. Everyone else has a king. We want a king. So God goes, trust me, you're not going to want this because here's what he's going to do, right? And they're like, we still want it. Everyone else, it's like the, a toddler or a middle school. It's like, everyone else in my class has a phone. Everyone else that gets my, they're like, okay, fine, fine. Have your stinking phone, right? So this is what's happening. So God gives Israel a king, gives them Saul. And then he's kind of a jerk in that whole deal. And he messes up and he, he gets impatient with God. And God doesn't work according to, to uh, Saul's timeline. And so God's going, we're going to pick someone else now. And so he sends the prophet Samuel around to go find the next king. So Samuel goes to a guy named Jesse's house. This is David, King David's dad, but it's not, he's not King David yet. He's little boy David. He's shepherd boy David at this stage, right? So here's what happens in 1 Samuel 16. I'll give you a little context to help you understand uh, the world of the shepherd. Verse 10, it says, Jesse had seven sons passed before Samuel. This is like a beauty pageant, right? Just like, first son. And he runs a cow, did a little spin, shows the ensemble, right? And Samuel's like, yes, this one. He's handsome, he's strong, this is the one. And God's like, no, no. One by one, they go through the seven sons. It says, the, Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. And if you read the verses beforehand, Samuel is just as confused as Jesse is. Jesse's like, no, that kid would make a great king. And Samuel's like, bro, it's not my call, right? He probably didn't say that, but, you know, he's more prophet-like. But, you know, he says, so he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Right? Think about this. 
Samuel goes to Jesse and goes, bring out all your boys. God says the next king is in this house. So the dad brings out seven sons, and then Jesse goes, none of these. Uh, do you have any more? And Jesse's like, right, yes, my bad, got one more. Says this, there is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. In his own dad's eyes, there's no way it could be David. He's the shepherd of the family right now. There's no way he could add value. There's no way God could work through him. He's nobody. He just walks around with the sheep and watches them chew grass. Surely he's not the king. And Samuel said, send him here. Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. This is what a shepherd was in the earlier times. It's shifted a little bit. By the time we get to the first century, it's still the lowest, but it's not the lowest of the family. Now it's more of a business enterprise because cities are changing and that kind of thing, and now it's the lowest of those in society. Okay, so if you could not get a job anywhere else, right, you got a felony on your record, you could do this. So by the time you are a shepherd, you've made some choices, right, that got you there. Let me read a few things from the, a, few, a few writers that write about the time. Aristotle, you ever heard of him? He says this about shepherds. He says, the laziest are shepherds. The laziest are shepherds. Cool, it just tells how you really feel. Aristotle, he goes, who lead an idle life. Idle is a simple way of saying simple, stupid, easy, anybody can do it, idle life. And get their substance without trouble. <laughs> like, it's easy, right? Mom's making them a sandwich for every meal, right? They get their substance without trouble from tame animals. Meaning, they don't even need a shepherd. They're tame. They're fine, right? It's like the easiest job ever. They're flocks wandering from place to place in search of a pasture. They are compelled to follow them, cultivating a sort of living farm. Aristotle had a very low view of shepherds. Going on, Trent Butler, <clears throat> theologian, says this, shepherding had changed from a family business in David's time uh, to a despised occupation. Let's talk about the first century. Jeremiah, who wrote the, uh, the book called Jerusalem in the Time of Jesus, which is a really good read, says this. He says, shepherds were deprived of, all, deprived of all civil rights. They could not fulfill judicial offices or be admitted in court as witnesses. Kind of sidebar. You know who else was not admitted, uh, be able to be witnesses in court? Women. That's a whole other conversation to have at some point. But that's not what we're talking about today. So they, they could not fulfill judicial offices. They can't have leadership in, in society or be admitted in the court as witnesses. It goes on to say, to buy wool, milk, or a goat from a shepherd was forbidden. Why? Because they assumed that it was stolen. Right? Like, you remember, like, when you were in high school or whatever, you know the guy that's like, you bought a CD player from that guy? Were the wires cut? You know, behind the head unit, right? It's like, come on, man. If you got it from that guy, that was stolen, man, right? That's what the shepherds were. So think about that person you went to school with, right? That's how shepherds were viewed in that society. So here's what's happening in Bethlehem. And the town of David senses is happening. The town is packed. The town is packed. There are rooms with all the right people hanging out. Think of like a high school reunion on
are meeting in the city. So can you imagine this? If you ever go to Jerusalem or Bethlehem, uh, there's what's called Shepherd's Field, which they believe is where God appeared to the shepherds. It's right along the path to get into the city. So as all these people were piling into Bethlehem, right, the, room was, the city was so full there's no room at the inn, right, for Mary. It's just packed. It's packed. So can you imagine them walking past the shepherds? I'm picturing someone go, oh, what's up, man? I haven't seen you in forever. What are you doing? Oh, uh, shepherding? Oh, cool. Hey, I got a thing out I got to go to. Good seeing you. We should catch up sometime. So the shepherds, in this moment, are, it's obvious to them where they are in society. They can hear in the distance the parties, the fun, people spending money, the it crowd hanging out, going to all the right rooftop experiences, the bars and all that, the cool who's who, and here they are contemplating their life decisions. So Jesus doesn't go to what we would consider the right people. Jesus doesn't go to the people that we think Jesus should go to if you want, man, if you want to really make a splash, you got to influence the influencers, man, right? That's how society works, and that's not what Jesus does. He doesn't go to the right people. He wasn't born into the right family. He was born in a trough in a barn, right? The first people that God tells about the birth of the Messiah was at best, they were at best invisible. These shepherds at best were invisible. They were like the help, right? At best, they were invisible. More likely, they're dismissed, they're ignored, they're despised, they're counted out. They're full of regret. When you're a shepherd, you're going, how the heck did I get here? Or maybe you're very well aware of how you got there. You know the decisions that you made that haunt you. Why did I do that? Why did I build those habits? Why did I hang out with those people? Look at where I'm at now. Outcasts, living in the field, sleeping alongside sheep, smelling like they sleep alongside sheep. This was their life. And then God shows up and says, that's not who you are. Think about that. See, remember when Samuel was choosing David, right? Here's what God says in the verse, couple of verses before. When God's talking to Samuel, he says, the Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. Talking to Samuel. People judge by outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. People say, oh, they're the right look. They're the right height. They, have the, they drive the right car. They live in the right neighborhood. They have the right status. I see different things. See, there's some people that don't have a whole lot of things in this world, don't have the best clothes, but their hearts are beautiful. You've seen it, right? You've met people like that. They're amazing. There's joy. And you're like, I remember being in the uh, jungles of Ecuador, and we bought these... Um, uh, soccer balls, and somehow they got popped or something, so we try to blow them up, and they would just kind of stay kind of inflated, right? And we're like, dang it. Any kid in our city would be like, thanks for the present, man, right? These kids had a blast, so much joy over semi-inflated soccer balls, and I'm like, my gosh, what is going on? And of course, I didn't take it personally. I was like, I wish my kids could see that, I mean, I am very content with my life, but my kids could see 
anyway, so, right? But so, and then there's people who have a lot of things, who have a beautiful home, who drive a great car, who have great uh, clothes, a great wardrobe, accessories, right? Have all the reasons in the world to have joy, all the reasons in the world to have gratitude, but their heart is ugly. There's something gross there. God says, man, Samuel, look, you look at the outside and you pick, you pick who you think I'm going to work through based on what you see. And I'm telling you, I look on the inside. I see something else. And for some reason, God saw these shepherds. I'm like, them, them. That's who we're going to tell first. God has a long history of speaking through people that didn't make any sense. And so for you, you ever felt like an outcast? You ever felt like a misfit? You ever felt like someone that God could never use? God could use that person, but God can never use me, right? You've made excuses of why you don't follow God, or you've made excuses why I'm just going to attend church here and there. I'm just going to dip a toe. And you're not going all in with God. I'm not talking about church attendance. I'm saying you're not going all in with God. God, at best, is a thing you do on occasion or when things go bad in your life, right? But you're not giving full surrender to God. Why? Why? I think for some of us, we think, why would God ever speak to me? How could God ever use me? I didn't go from the right family. I don't have the right skill set. I don't, I'm just like a normal dude. Yep. And you know who God uses? Look throughout scripture. Normal people. Right? So what would it look like? What would it look like for you to take one step closer to full surrender to Jesus? I don't know about you guys. Going into 2023, I don't want to just go to church and sing some songs. You know what I mean? Can I just be honest? I grew up in like a Pentecostal charismatic church where there's like, you know, almost like, you know, like Blues Brothers where they're swinging from the chandeliers kind of thing. It almost kind of felt like that sometimes where if you weren't like barking from a dog, if you weren't falling over, it's like, oh, well, God wasn't moving. And I'm like, I don't know. That's kind of weird. Like, I don't want to bring my friends to this because they're going to be like, what circus is this, right? Is this sponsored by Barnum and Bailey, right? So there's a, there's a side of me that's like, man, if I go full surrender to God, am I going to be weird, out of touch, head in the sand, out of totally disconnected with culture? No, I don't think you need to be that way. But I'm, as your pastor, I, what I'm committed to in 2023, and this is not a sermon point, this is just like, this is where I'm at. I don't want to spend the rest of my life dancing around the appearance of kind of doing church stuff. Anybody with me? Like, I want to want to lean in and say, God, if you're real, God, if you want to move, if you want to make a difference in this world, if you can use me, I mean, I wouldn't use me, but you want to use me, I'm in. I'm in. And that's not like, and here's where you can tithe, and here's where you can, that's not what I'm talking about. It's a small part of it. I'm saying some of us have danced around it. Some of us have just attended stuff. Some of us have just kind of just not really leaned in. And can I challenge you? What would it look like? What would it look like to take one step closer to full surrender to Jesus? And I don't know what that means for you. Some of you guys, you're professional Christians, and that looks different for you. Some of you guys, it's just making that first decision to like, I've made excuses. I'm just going to make a decision to follow God. I have questions. Me too. I have doubts. Me too. 
I wonder why God, I don't wonder why Christians, yeah, me too, me too, I get it, I get it. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Like, there's not going to be any answer or any experience that's going to make you go, now I get it, right? What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? You're one decision away. You are one decision away from the adventure of a lifetime. So, I triple dog dare you to do it. Second question is this, who have you counted out? Who have you counted out? Who have you seen as less than? Who have you seen in your life, in your sphere of influence, that you're going, there's no way God could work through them? I mean, look at their views politically. Look at, look at their, how they live their life. Look at what they do on the weekends. Look at their relationship. There's no, look at what they believe. There's no way God could work through them, and there's this pharisaical judgment spirit in you. God can never use them because this. They're too young, right? Or they're too old. I don't know about you, the mind games in my head is I'm too young until I'm too old, right? Or they're not educated enough to be used by God. Or, man, they're too educated. They're so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. Or they made too many bad decisions. Or they don't have the right, I can't, I can't put my finger on it, but they don't have the right look. They don't have the right vibe, right? God couldn't use, he wouldn't say that out loud because it sounds sacrilegious, but we think it. Who have you counted out? Who have you counted out? And in turn, who has God put in your life that you can believe in, that you can encourage, that you can put strength into and invite into an adventure with God with you, right? So let's continue in the story and we'll close this thing out. It says, uh, <clears throat> uh, bah, bah, bah. this will be assigned to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger in the trough. That's how you'll know this is Jesus. In 13, verse 13. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, right? So God just opens up this trap door he didn't, that no one saw and like private concert for the shepherds, right? No one else saw it. If anybody deserved a VIP concert, these guys have never seen one. These guys are the last ones to see private shows and God gives them the best show ever. Then the whole sky lights up and the angels are singing glory to god in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests stay there for a second glory to god in the highest heaven we get that god deserves glory but then he says and on earth peace peace to who to those on whom his favor rests do you know what i think is happening here they needed a divine interruption to break their cycle of thinking, to go, you don't feel like it, guys, but the favor of God is on you. You're the first ones we told. God's favor is on you. God is going to use you. I know you don't feel like it, but God is going to use you if you're willing to go on an adventure. God's going to use you. Peace. All those, that anx those anxious thoughts. Peace. Peace. God's favor is on you. Just wait to see what he does. Then it says, verse 15, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem. <laughs> hey, let's try this thing out. Let's see this thing that has happened, what, which the Lord has told us about. It's so funny that they could leave their sheep for a few hours, and it's like no biggie, right? It's like, it's like nothing is going to happen, right? One of my favorite movies is Claudio, The Chance of Meatballs, right? That 
that Bible movie. You guys ever watch this? So <clears throat> what's so funny, I think it's in part two. I can't remember. Uh, but they're, uh, they're, they're trying to get everyone together to f- solve a problem. And that one guy, Brent, I think his name is, Baby Brent, he's a sign spinner. You know, on the side of the road, he's spinning this sign. And they go, Brent, I think his name is Brent. I mean, if it's not, just text me. Uh, he goes, uh, Brent, we got to go. And Brent's like, who's going to do my job? And then he goes, he puts it on a tree. And he goes, thanks, tree. Anyways, because he has a really simple job that a tree can do. Anyways, <clears throat> too much time on that. This is how the, I feel like the shepherd's job. It's like it's so basic. Like Aristotle's like, this is like the easiest job ever. They're like, we can just leave for a few hours. Like they're, they're not going to go anywhere. Like they're tame. They're going to just sleep on the grass, right? So they'll be here when we get back. So they hurry off. It says, verse 16. Verse 16 says, so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph. They're going door to door. Baby in a trough? No. Baby in a trough? No. And then they kept on going. So they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Verse 17, when they had seen him, they spread the word. What they do? They immediately go went to house to house, went to places that they were not invited to, talked to people that they should not be talking to, right? And they push past all the awkwardness, push past their smell, right? And started telling people about what they had seen. It goes on, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Verse 20, the shepherds returned to their job, and the sheep were still there, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. They didn't waste any time. They didn't make any excuses. They didn't say, hey, you know what? We, angel will follow you, uh, but right now is not a good time. Uh, how about two weeks on Tuesday? That's good for me. I have an hour, Right? And we laugh at that, but that's kind of how people follow God today many times. It's like, uh, okay, it's going to be nice on Sunday, uh, so we're going to go to the park. Uh, next Sunday, three weeks we'll be at church, right? I'll, I'll give you an uh, You want me to show me half an hour early to greet people at the door? Uh, I can do that once a month, right? So they didn't do that, right? They go, let's go. The sheep aren't moving, right? So it says they told everyone about them. People were amazed. People were amazed that they had the gall, the courage, the audacity to talk to them, to go to places they shouldn't go. They weren't welcome to come. They were amazed at what they were saying. They're saying, who was born? What? Where? When? What? Like, what? Huh? Angels? Real choir in heaven? Okay. Right? They were amazed that they pushed past the, the cultural norms, past insecurity, past awkwardness. But why did they do it? Because it was a big deal. Right? Why did they, what shook the shepherds? What gave them a divine interruption to go do this? Because it was a big stinking deal. Right? Think about this. Think about the people in your life that are vegans. Think about the people in your life that do CrossFit. Think about the people in your life that do Orange Theory. How do you know that they do it? Because they talk about it constantly. Right? I get it. You worked out hard today, man. Yeah, walk me through your whole, yeah, no, please, walk me through your whole workout. Yeah, awesome. I, I was hoping you would tell me all about that. Yeah, awesome. Tell me about my Jordans and how they're leather. Yes, awesome. Yep, cool. Eggs? No? Okay. Like, walk me through. Why do you, why, why do you, it's a big deal to them, right? So, question them. How much do you talk about what God is doing in your life? Right? I'm not saying stand on the street corner and say the end is near, you're all going to hell. Please don't do that. 
Or if you do, don't say you're part of this church, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> take the bumper sticker off, like, right? But how much, how much do you talk about what God is doing in your life? It's not much. Maybe, maybe, because he's not doing much in your life, right? Or you haven't made a big deal out of it. See, maybe it used to be a big deal in your life, if we're honest. It used to be a big deal in your life. But now you kind of talk more about that new Netflix show you're watching. Right? You get together, hey, what are you watching? Oh, that movie was good. I'm not saying it's not bad to watch movies. I can't wait to watch the new Avatar. That's me and Jesus are going to watch that. It's going to be great. Okay, so it's like, I'm not saying it's bad to watch. I'm saying maybe, maybe. I, I, I talk to people all the time that are like, I have no time to pray. I have no time to read my Bible. Yeah, I went to the gym today. Uh, I watched a couple episodes of my favorite TV show, but I have no time. No time to pray. But Taka, do you know, I feel like God's not doing anything in my life right now. When would he? When would he? Right? So the shepherds have a totally normal night, and then God totally interrupted it, right? It changed everything. And a lot of us, a lot of us, we need a divine interruption. That's what we need. I don't know about you, but COVID and the pandemic and all this stuff kind of lulled us to sleep, Things that we were passionate about before, we're apathetic about now. We created new normals that were comfortable, and, they, and honestly, they made sense for the season. But some of us need a divine interruption to shake us out of that and go, wake up. Do you want your life to be about this? Do you want to copy and paste these habits over the course of your life? Is that what you want your life to be about? Right? Some of us need a divine interruption. I had a divine interruption on Friday night. It was about 3 in the morning. I like to say I woke up praying, you know, as I, as I do every morning at 3. Uh, no, I woke up because I was thirsty. You ever been in your dream you're like, I'm thirsty, but I also want to keep sleeping, right? But I also kind of go to the bathroom. So oh, I can make a decision here. I'm like, I hit, hit a tipping point. I'm like, two birds with one stone. I'll get a drink of water, keep walking around the bed and go to the bathroom, you know, and it'll be, a, you know, done. I'll be back in bed in 30 seconds. Okay, so I do that. Get out of bed. Drink my water. I have a big old hydro flask. Drink water. Stay hydrated. Uh, and then, uh, then I, I, I walk into the bathroom. My first step into the bathroom, I should feel tile. I feel something squishy. Uh, and I'm having all these, like, my brain isn't fully working yet. You know what I mean? And I'm like, what? That's, not, that's weird. Is this, like, peanut butter? Why is there peanut butter? Like, it's in my toes. Right? So, like, between the toes, like, like some of you guys that were, like, five-finger, like, shoes, you, the weirdos in the room, you know what I mean? It felt like that. I'm not about that life. So, like, I'm like, why? I'm, like, wiggling my toes a little bit squishy. It's like, what is that? Why? And then it started, it started I'm like, oh, we have a puppy? Right? Um, God makes him cute or else you leave him outside, right? So, it hits me like, oh, no. Oh, no. He must have eaten late, and then we were sleeping when he wanted to go out, and so he just went to the bathroom where he sees us go to the bathroom, and that's what's between my toes. <laughs> so I flip on the lights, and I was like, yep, and I kind of hobble over to the, you know, the shower and rinse poop between my toes out. Not what you want to do, divine interruption. And I like, you know, <laughs> I needed it. That night, right? To shake me out of what I was doing. But I'll tell you a more serious one. 
the more serious one was, uh, I remember when I was uh, just starting out in ministry. This was probably 1997, 98. And uh, first time I got to preach in front of our church, and there's probably 2,500 people or so in, in the service. And uh, I was coming off a high. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I got to speak in front of these people, and they didn't leave. Um, and my mom got cancer, breast cancer. And my mom is, uh, she's like a tiger mom, right? She's like, you know, uh, she's very argumentative, doesn't listen to doctors, because what would they know? Uh, and just very critical, uh, judgy, just a loving Korean mother. And so she uh, got frail. And, and guess, you, you guys know how weird it is to see your parents get frail? Because they were like superheroes when you were little, you know what I mean? And then you see, your, I remember my, my mom um, helping her pick out wigs, right? Uh, I remember seeing my mom... Uh, get scared. I never seen my mom get scared before. She's like this, her, like her counseling advice for me was man up, walk it off, suck it up. Very encouraging household, uh, right? And it's like, oh, it's just, you're just bleeding a little bit. It's fine. You're fine. Just stuff Kleenex up there. You're okay, right? Very encouraging. And it was weird uh, to see her get frail. Uh, but what was weird, she needed, she needed an interruption because when she would go to treatment, all of a sudden, one day I visited her at the hospital, and she was reading Joyce Meyer. You guys know Joyce Meyer? She's like if a, uh, if a PE teacher became a Christian. I mean, so, I mean, my mom, loved, it's like right up her alley. You know, follow God or else. Like, she's, yes. Yes, like that's kind of her language. So she loved Joyce Meyer. She would, um, just back in those days, she would say, hey, can you, when you preach at the church, can you put it on a DVD so I can watch? She had a portable DVD player for her K-dramas. And so... Uh, I would, <laughs> I would burn, or the team before me would burn uh, my sermons on DVD, and she would watch sermons. She never watched sermons before, and God began to change her life. Divine interruption, divine interruption. See, there's three quick things about interruptions. One, they're unexpected, right? I mean, the shepherds were just chilling in the field, snuggling with some sheep. All of a sudden, interruption. Second thing is they're, they're uh, disorienting right? It's like, what the heck is going on? What's between my toes? What is happening right now? Why, are, why is this happening? Why is this relationship this way? Why is my job this way? Why is our finances this way? Like, what, what is going on? It's, just, it's disorienting. This is not the way I had planned. It's disorienting, isn't it? But if you take enough time to sit in that and ask the right questions and pray, ask the Holy Spirit to guide you, what you'll find is interruptions give you an opportunity for a new direction. If you let them. Interruptions give you an opportunity. They won't make you go in a new direction. They'll give you an opportunity to go in a new direction if you take it. Or you can just go back to what you were doing before. See, like a health scare, high blood pressure, mini stroke, something, someone in your family gets sick. It can make you start exercising or not, right? You have relational tension with those you love. It can cause you to change how you communicate or how you spend your time or not. Times like Christmas where you say pause, hey, give God the appropriate attention in your life. Don't let anything else, you know, idols or anything that competes with God, don't let anything compete with God, right? Put God first. So Christmas and moments like this can be a divine interruption to, to challenge you to give God the appropriate attention in your life or not, right? Like you can do it 
or we're not. It's up to you. Here's what I wonder. Here's what I wonder. I wonder what the shepherds did after they went back to their job. Killer night, memorable night. They'll never forget it. They'll be talking about this forever. And then they go back to shepherding the next day. What'd they do? They go back to their job? Did they become evangelists? They tell their boss, see ya, we got a different plan now. Did they turn their life around? We have no idea what happened. Here's what we do know. The story of their lives mattered to God. The story of their lives mattered to God. God wanted to use them. God invited them on an adventure. And you know what? Your story matters too. The goal is not to attend church. The goal is to join God on an adventure to change your life, to change other people's lives, to make a difference in this world. That's the goal. Will you join God on that? It's not about attending church and singing some Christian karaoke on Sundays, man. Will you join God on the adventure? We're just going to go to church sometimes. Will you live your life or will you live a life that matters? Will you just consume things and buy things and acquire more things and long for things, hoping that thing will bring you hope, that thing will bring you joy, or will you live a life that matters, that makes a difference, that echoes in eternity? Last thought is this. If the shepherds were here today, we probably need to give them a bath. If the shepherds were here today, you know what they would tell us? Will you push past the awkwardness to tell people about God? It's going to be awkward. But people that do Orange Theory have no problem pushing past that, right? So you can too about something that matters more. Will you push past the awkwardness to tell people about God? Will you believe in the outcasts? Will you believe in the ones that everyone's telling you you shouldn't believe in, you shouldn't be in relationships with? You shouldn't hang out with those people. And God goes, I kind of like them too. I like them as much as I like you. Will you believe in the outcasts? Will you make a big deal of Jesus this holiday season and beyond? And I think the last thing the, the shepherds would say to us is, will you allow God to interrupt your life? Maybe, will you ask God? That's a dangerous prayer. Will you ask God to interrupt your life? The weird thing is, he's faithful. Get ready for an interruption. Get ready for something you've never experienced before. So if you dare, will you ask God to interrupt your life and see what happens, right? So let me pray for us. God, we love you, God. But man, we miss the mark so much. I miss the mark so many times. So God, would you be with us? Would you... Would you rid the room of any sort of guilt or condemnation. God, I pray this season be full of peace and joy. It's even for those who are going through just really challenging moments this season, God, I pray you would give them peace and joy and hope. God, would you help us as the church to be your arms extended? Would you help us to bring life and hope and your values wherever we go this holiday season? God, would people see that you care about them because we're around them. Could you help us to do, Holy Spirit, we need you because we're, man, I have a really hard time with that. Some of us have a really hard time with that. Would you help us 
We need you, God. And in the quiet moments, in the quiet moments before we go to sleep or we're driving with no radio, God, I pray that you would speak to us. Would you invite us into a different life, into an adventure that we will never, ever forget? We commit this season to you, God. Thank you for coming, Emmanuel. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand? Uh, let's sing this together. Thank you, Pastor Talker, for preaching your message. I know it spoke to me. Um, one of, the, one of the, my favorite things to do here at Voice is be part of the teaching team. And I get the opportunity to preach sometime in January where we're going to be talking about the B-sides. And the whole time you were preaching, that's kind of what I was reminded. It's so amazing how the gospel so often use B-side people. You know, we, we automatically assume that the best speaker or we maybe assume that the best preacher or the best teacher uh, gets to shine the brightest, but throughout scripture over and again. So often God chooses the least likely to share some wonderful stories. And oftentimes those stories that these shepherds share are the stories that are recorded in scripture. So as we enter this Christmas season, as we enter Christmas Eve and everything else that comes around it, Share your God story. Share the things that God is doing, the big and the small. You know, it's, it's so crazy because we tend to give God glory over these miraculous healings that he has done in our family. But he's also in the small stories, like the small victories between you and your kid, and the small victories between you and your spouse, or the small victory in the idea that you live in Orange County, that so many people will love to live here. And we get the opportunity to share the gospel in this city. So with that being said, we, we do have Christmas Eve. Can I just encourage you? It's not about voice. It's not about Pastor Talk and Natalie. It's about sharing the gospel of Jesus. And we have this awesome opportunity at our workplace, wherever we may be, to invite somebody to hear who Jesus is. So again, Christmas Eve service is on the 24th. 10:30, and can we just add an extra detail we'll be serving brunch that day as well so can you just come in with your families share with all of us and eat some 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 super delicious food so a couple of announcements uh before we get out of here um number one let's talk about the ugly <laughs> christmas sweater winner uh, i've been texted that by three votes three votes the winner are will and wendy can we give them a hand Good for you guys. That's awesome. <laughs> um, lastly, there's a connection card again right in front of you. Um, if you feel like to, to, to fill it out, again, it's just for us to connect with you. And every single time that we gather together, we pick up in free offering. And can we just encourage you today to just do what Jesus has laid inside your heart. And then lastly, can we just put our hands out like this as we dismiss. And before I pray, remember that we also hang out on this side. If you need prayer of any kind. We're here to just know with you guys. But we just want to say thank you, Lord God, for just giving us the opportunity to come to this place and worship you. Thank you, Lord God, for giving Pastor Taka the words to come encourage us, Lord. And Lord, as we enter this next season and uh, that, that, that is about you, can we just literally just make it about you? Let us not get lost, Lord, in, in the gifts. Let us not get lost in the stress and the food. 
Lord, but that we can truly make this season about you, Lord Jesus. Let us be those shepherds, Lord, that can't wait to go door to door and share all the great things that you've done through us. Lord, let us go home today. Let us be blessed. Let us have a great time with our families. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.